Hello, my name is Beth Guide, and in today's Internet Marketing Clinic, we're going to talk about six different items that will help your website rank better in Google if you use them and use them properly. Some of them are going to be repetitive, of course, because it's always the same theme on each item, but I, I always try to add something different into the spin of things so that we get something out of this and we know how better to interact with Google and how better to service our customers because I think both are equally as important and Google's finally starting to get as well that the um, use of the customer interface and the user experience is becoming very important and they're shifting some of their metrics to include that as well. So the first item I'm going to talk about today is great content and why great content is necessary for a page to rank in Google. When I teach a class, I tell everybody that Google's not in business to rank your website. They're not there to promote your website. They're not there to make your website be a better uh, entity for them. You don't pay them. They list Those listings are provided for free, so therefore it's logical that that would be the case. So what are the content standards that we need to have to be able to make our website rank better? First of all, the topic has to be really good. It needs to be imaginative and innovative, and it also needs to show why you are the expert. Why are you worth listening to? Why does your opinion matter more than the other guy in town that does the same thing that you do? Whether it be length of time, your customer service level, your ability to interact with people, all of those things need to come out in your content. And when I write a page of content, you can tell my personality and my commitment to customers and to how I think business should interact with their website and why I think those uh, tips that I'm giving are extremely important, especially to people that can't afford an SEO company. We kind of look at it both ways um, in the sense that we know that a lot of businesses can't afford it or they've hired somebody that's less than adequate. And in doing so, they minimize the ability for it to rank right because it's a lot of work to make a website rank. There's no two ways about it. But if I can give somebody the tool set to know what they should be asking the company, at least you know what you should be doing versus what you are doing versus what you're not doing. So when I put all of those things together, that's one of the reasons we do this. But the content always has to be on point. It always has to be exceptional. So recently, one of the more popular pages that I put up involved uh, why there is a symbiotic relationship between a chamber of commerce and a Google and your website's positioning in Google. And I, I don't think that most people ever consider it or they don't really think about it. So what ends up happening is they go ahead and they put the, uh, they have their chamber membership and they evaluate their chamber membership solely from the value that it has to the return on investment from networking and the interactions and the connections. They don't consider the fact that you're given a Google map listing because of that link. It's not isolated because of that link, but that link plays a big factor because it legitimizes your business. So by not having a Chamber of Commerce link, your local search suffers. And that's been a long-standing contention of mine that it's a, it's a fairly inexpensive validation for your business at $300 a year. I mean, it's a dollar a day. So we're not talking anything extraordinary. Well, in putting that 
piece of content up, I ended up getting a lot of traffic, a lot of inquiries, a lot of backlinks from multiple different chambers throughout the country. So it has all the earmarks of what a great piece of content would be. Um, some of the other things that you should consider when you do content uh, and including them is a bulleted list. Uh, have focus, take the topics and come up with an enumerated list. So like in this case, I called this one six uh, tips because there's six areas that I'm going to cover. When I do this, I may go in and I may say um, a bulleted list underneath it is um, and delineate those out. But in the reality is that that content needs to be broken up in pieces that are digestible for people. Uh, the other thing is they need to be about 900 words, a minimum. And I actually think that's on the low side now. But the thing is, is that your great piece of content, I don't want to give a word count for. And I often shy away from this when people ask me. Because at the end of the day, it's like the old John Mayer song of say what you need to say. Say it. Say as much as you need to. And if you run out of things to say and you're only at 800 words, then stop. It's better not to fill and flood the zone with unnecessary and superfluous content rather than actual having something good to say. Now, when I get to 800 words and I don't have a meet my requirement, which is very rare that that actually happens. But when that happens, the one thing that I do is I go back and maybe make it from six, I'll add a seventh area that may be able to be included in what I'm discussing. So there's multiple different ways to improve that word count. Reread what you put, see if maybe you didn't cover it. But at the end of the day, the content that you produce needs to be exceptional. It needs to be fantastic. It needs to be something that people are going to want to share. So as I say this, the other thing with the great content piece of this is the other thing is that the authority of yourself as the writer and the authority of your website is now factored into how Google views you. So if you have no authority, then you could put up the greatest piece of content and you still might not have a ranking. So the thing is, is that you need to be great consistently all the time with everything you do. Um, great content is not hard if you know your subject matter, if you know what makes you uh, the best. So don't be afraid to take that step and be bold in what you say. Um, some things that people ask me is how do I think of content? Well, I have a email box and the email box does go through and ask me questions every day. I have customer questions and intrinsically there's always a question there that I can take and turn into something. The other thing I do is a lot of reading and in that reading, I formulate opinions on what I'm reading. Is that person right? Is that person wrong? Uh, what is their opinion? How would I do it better? And I sit down and I utilize those as inspirations for some of the content that I put up. So let's kind of talk about how this uh, content piece can go together just for a second as well. Um, you're listening to this podcast and this podcast has an accompanying blog post. It's going to have an accompanying video. There's multiple different manifestations of this particular topic that are going to live on SEO 411's website over the next week, if you will. And as I put those things out and I put those things up and I put them, there are multiple ways to get content. And when you start to have a holistic and comprehensive view of how to put content up there, 
all of a sudden things start to gel better. People follow you. People listen to you. People take you in your car, which is where I hope you're listening to me now as you're driving to work because that's a good thing in a, in a pandemic to be able to go to work and drive in your car. Um, that means you're actually working. I'm hoping that the people that are listening to me that, that see this can understand the best ways to make um, a good piece of content and how to put these all together. The other thing that we've been doing too in this, not only have we been coming up with the podcast and the podcast ideas, we've also been trying to use our class that we have in conjunction with this to have a corresponding video. So you'll notice a lot of the podcasts we do have a video. I don't tell you this to be self-aggrandizing. I'm telling you this because at the end of the day, I am creating a comprehensive, holistic, multi-channel, different ways to create content approach to everything that we do. And as you do that, you become the authority in the space and the authority on the subject matter. And at the end of the day, you end up, you know, on the first page of Google or ideally you end up number one on Google because that visibility, the value of that visibility is well worth your time um, to be able to create all of this because it creates a uh, sales funnel that is not dependent on your ability to pay. It is. It creates a sales funnel that doesn't require money to be fed at it all the time in the way paid searches will be. Basically, what you're doing is growing all aspects of the business organically simultaneously. And Google has been kind enough to now start to know and learn that that people that conduct themselves better are far more trustworthy, far more the authority, and far more worthy of being put on the first page of Google. That, that link on Google on the first page has a lot of value to it. So as you're saying, oh, I don't have time to do this, and I, and I hear that a lot, or I don't know how to do this, I hear that a lot. Um, the, the value of it and what it will save you in the long run is uh, unquantifiable, really. And then the other thing is that a lot of the people that have been um, in this pandemic situation that had paid search, if they didn't have real good organic footprints, they've been basically erased off the internet at this point in time. Whereas the people that had really good um, rankings went through and they didn't lose much by turning off any paid or they never had paid in the first place. So their business is still able to function in this new normal state that we're in in the meantime because they took the time and they made the great content and they made their website stand out and set themselves apart. The next thing that I'm going to talk about is the natural linking that comes from your website. Your website should be a generator of links. And we, we have a lot of people that talk about buying links and I'm going to say buying links is not really the way you're supposed to do things, okay? So let me set the stage first for those of you that may not know what I'm talking about. So there are people out in the world that will make a link back to your website. So when I go and I teach at HCC, HCC makes a link to my website. When I go teach at the Houston West Chamber of Commerce, Houston West Chamber of Commerce makes a link to my website. So there's multiple linking opportunities that are created simply um, because you're doing something or you're doing something right. If you put out a press release or uh, you create uh, some type of news event that you end up getting covered in the news, all of those things create the ability 
for somebody somewhere to create a link back to your website. And when they do, Google takes a notice of that and says, hey, this website, it's like an endorsement, like um, like Nike endorsing, you know, Michael Jordan and his sneakers. Um, the more endorsements that you have from higher end authority websites, the better off you are. But you have to be really good to get those kind of things. They don't just hand those out. So some people go through and they actually try to buy those links. But realistically, if you put up really good content, people notice, people make those links, and you end up with links from authoritative sites and you probably won't have to buy a link. Uh, link manipulation is one of the biggest downfalls that you can have. We can spot a site that has been manipulated with links a mile away. Uh, and if we can spot it, Google can spot it. And eventually you walk over the line and they end up putting a manual action on your website and then your website disappears for a while. So we don't ever advocate that. But what we will say is that if you put good content up, those links come naturally. Again, going back to the Chamber of Commerce and not to beat the Chamber of Commerce topic to death, but we ended up with, by putting up the podcast and the links that we put up with on the, on the Chamber of Commerce uh, discussion, we ended up with a set of links from several chambers of commerces throughout the country, which they have some validity. Um, they're considered more authoritative than most. So we got links back to us. I, I think the farthest one away I got was from a, a chamber in Wyoming. So that nat, that action of putting something up that was really, really good created that natural link building. And that's something that we all should be striving for. Is my page good enough to appear somewhere or for somebody to call me and include me in an article. Uh, we had a situation here um, that we did some work for uh, a nursing home and help facilitate uh, family visits in a pandemic uh, virtually. And in doing so, I had people making links to our story uh, that appeared on our website just simply because the story was so unique. So again, great content breeds natural link building and natural link building should always be the priority. The idea to foster and purchase links and to go out and do guest posts and all the other things that people do, Google keeps pushing back and saying, that is not what we intend. And because that's not what they intend, at the end of the day, when they catch you, it's going to be a very sad day. So I don't encourage that behavior. I don't encourage you to do anything that's ma manipulative. But what I do encourage you to do is tie the first two things that I've said together, which is great content breeds a natural link building strategy. Uh, the other thing is make sure that you put that link out in the public through social sharing. Um, so when you put that piece of content up, Make sure that you're sticking it out on your social profiles and that you're working towards building social profiles. You don't have to necessarily pay for them, but make sure that you're working towards building them. Um, the next thing that I'm going to talk about is keywords and how they fit into things. So I'm going to say that there was a period of time that everything was keyword based and we would shove all the keywords that we could on a web page. Please don't do that anymore. Then there was a period of time that we tried to analyze keywords and we didn't want to use keywords. So we kind of walked away from using keywords. Yeah, don't do that anymore either. We need to have a blend. So let, let me talk about what we need to do. We need to make sure that we pick the right targeted set of keywords for a website. And let's say there's 20 money terms and then come up with the ancillary 
outside terms that may support those money terms. So um, let's say in my case, let's say SEO. And then let's say an ancillary would be what is SEO? Because some people use that and put that in. So if somebody's looking as to what is SEO, they may also be looking to purchase SEO. So we kind of like look at those two things together. What is SEO is as much of a keyword as SEO itself is. Uh, one of the other examples would be SEO expert. Well, if you're looking for an SEO expert, it would indicate to me that you have some kind of a problem. So that's an ancillary keyword that feeds off your main keyword, but be very pointed. Uh, don't do what we used to do in the old days, which was um, shoes, brown shoes, red shoes, and write it a page of content on each item. Come up with meaningful uses of the keyword and don't spam them on the page. I mean, Google doesn't like to see a keyword in there 30, 50 times on a piece of content that may be only a thousand words. If it's a thousand words, a natural inclination on that might be anywhere from nine to 10, 12 times on a page. Uh, that might be natural. So if you go about it, so here's the thing. When I go about writing a page and notice I'm back to the content piece, but when I go about writing a page, I sit down and I think about what do I want to say about a page? What do I want to, what do I want to put in that page? And if I'm going through and I look at the keywords and I know what the keywords are in my head, when I go back, I write the page and then I review where those keywords could be interjected into a page to make the keyword appear, but not being done in a spammy way. So I do go back and retrofit keywords into the page and drop them into what I'm saying. Um, I just recently wrote a page about an HOA management company and the natural inclination was if you pick our management company, our management company does this. Um, a management company for HOAs does X, Y, and Z. Okay. At the end of the day, I went back and I looked and every instance of where it said management company, I went and saw whether it needed to be management company for an HOA, HOA management company, and I split the keywords up based on, but I never once put just the word management company. And the reason why is a management company could be everything from management company for a baseball player, a management company for an HOA, a management company for a business. There's multiple, multiple types of management companies. So you would never leave that word sitting there without a defining um, adjective that described what type of management company. So if you um, want to sell whatever you want to sell, make sure when you use that word, you include the keyword in a reasonable fashion and in a multiple, uh, different ways, uh, to do it. So there's multiple ways to approach a keyword, but please don't spam them into the page. Please don't add them roughshod all over the place. Don't write them at the bottom of the page. I had one person call me and say, Hey, can I write all the keywords in the bottom of the page in a different colored text? Uh, that is still being suggested as a solution in 2020, which I can hardly believe. But at the end of the day, no, please do not do that. That is not the right thing to do. Uh, and we don't want to be spamming keywords into our content in an unnatural way. Uh, we also don't want to be spamming keywords into the technical elements of our page, like the title tags. We want them there 
but we don't want to make um, them be in a spammy way. We don't want them to be in all H1 tags throughout the page to try to trick Google. I think if I had to say one thing to everybody is there really isn't a tricking of Google out there in this world. They know that you've done this, and the second the math doesn't add up, you're, you're, you basically slide down the rankings or don't appear at all. As I'm saying all this, there's one other thing that I want to point out, and you're going to hear me say this more and more over time. Uh, when it first appeared, I knew exactly where they were heading, and sure enough, a year and a half later, I'm pretty much there. Google has gone through and decided that they are going to start excluding pages from their directory. They are not going to rank those pages. Now, some of the pages should be excluded because they were old pages um, that have new pages that supersede them. But at the end of the day, they're actually going in and making an evaluation on every page on your website and say, is this page good enough to be included on our index? Our index, if it's not, they don't put it in there. And everybody needs to get used to that. I think that's a concept that if they build it, Google will come is long in the rearview mirror now. They are being a critic and they're only trying to curate and rank what's worthy of having that happen. Now, what I will say is I also keep seeing a um, discussion and this ties into one of my other points. So I'm going to say it now and we'll kind of segue to that next point here in a second. The other thing that I keep seeing chatter about is that Google uses an extreme amount of resources to get these pages, download these pages, keep these pages in their index, and they're they're cutting this in a different way. Um, so if your page is bad, they're going to cut that out to help lower the resources. And then the other thing that they've been harping on, which is page speed and how fast your page downloads. And I think that a part of the reason that they've been going down that piece of the road in hindsight is that they know that if they can lower the footprint on the sites of these websites and this, the, all the junk that's in a website, and I, and I don't mean that like stuff that you see, but there's multiple uh, items that are downloaded, stored, and harbored on a website. And when you go to that website, those items are downloaded. It's things like JavaScripts and JS, and there's all this uh, superfluous information, um, caching files. Uh, ironically, the use of Google's fonts slows up a website, the, the calling of a Google font. Uh, by putting a chat on the website, that call out to another website slows down the website. So there's all these factors that come in and hamper the speed of the website and therefore cost Google precious resources that they have to pay for for them to tolerate your bad webmastering, if you will. So they're harping on that now. And, and I, I don't, I guess I treat it negatively on some level and on another level, um, uh, it, it, it's their search engine. So whatever they want to do is fine with us, I suppose. But everybody needs to be cognizant of your page speed as well. So we've got two sides of this. One is bad pages with keywords stuffed in them are going to start to be excluded. Pages that are slow, that are cumbersome, that have multiple levels of JavaScript and caching and multiple CSS files and calls out all over the place, 
those websites are going to be now penalized because they're trying to force everybody to clean up their behavior so that they can benefit more. Granted, again, in this particular case, and that's my opinion, I want to say that, but in this particular case, I think it's probably warranted because they are going and sucking down all the information off the internet, and that's a huge amount of resources that need to go, and if they're spending extra resources just because the content is bad or the uh, speed of the website is bad, um, I, I can see why they have a problem with it. So I, I'm going to put those things together. Uh, the other thing I'm going to kind of come back to is I'm going to say that on page speed, um, it's a coefficient somewhat of WordPress if you're using WordPress. I don't really like the Wix and Weebly and Squarespace website builders. I think they do a lot wrong and there's a lot of problems with them and Google doesn't rank those websites anyway. So if you're serious about getting a website ranked, I'd strongly urge you not to be using one of those prefab Shopify, uh, Wix, Weebly, Squarespace type builders because someday I'm going to do just a class on why they're bad. Um, it, today's not the day, but at some point I'm going to, I'm going to tackle that, that subject because I think it's a subject well worth tackling. Uh, and we need to, we need to think about that. Okay. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the SEO friendly web design. And, you know, sometimes we hear a lot about that, but there's no real guidelines of what that need that means. So I'm going to just take a minute and kind of give you those guidelines a second uh, SEO friendly means how you're going to build that website to support the um, search engine. And it's not always things that you would think to do. Uh, so that's kind of why I always like to call this one out. Um, on things like your navigation structure of your website, I think this is one of those things that I spend a lot of time on the front side of trying to get customers to understand why it can't say home, about us, services, literally the word services and blog. And it's because there's no direction for Google to understand what that website's about on that top layer of the website. So usually what we do is we try to take the service name and break the services out as much as possible in buckets at the top. So if I'm a tax attorney or a tax, um, an accountant tax person, I may have tax for small business, accounting for small business, I may put those on the top level. So I, I tend to go like for an account and it's a great example because I would tend to go accounting services, which would then be bookkeeping, tax preparation, those type items. And then I would tend to go IRS issues. And then I would have my wage garnishments, back taxes, um, IRS letters, which is a big, a big category. I would make sure that I broke out my services. I just wouldn't put services at the top. I would put two separate buckets for those services and break them down from there. It's very important that you try to do those kind of things because you're basically guiding Google so they understand what you're doing. And when you create a navigation, which is that bar across the top of the website, it needs to tell people what you do and it needs to have the information for what you do in it. And when it does, Google's more apt to put that website in its search engine because it truly understands and it trusts that the information there is what it says it is. Um, you wouldn't do a whole website on tax accounting 
and then and use tax accounting words, but really be a sneaker uh, tennis shoe salesman. So the the chances are, if I go through that much effort and break that out to that way, that website is about that. And then they go through the pages and they verify that those uh, that website is about that. So everything supports each other. Uh, the other thing is. Um, in a web design piece of this is make sure that you spell out what you do on your homepage. That's another thing that I don't see a lot of people don't put those buckets on their homepage. They don't put, um, information on their page. They just say, hi, I'm Beth. I'm here. We been in business 21 years and that's the kind of stuff they put on there. They don't actually go through and put the services that they offer or they put up a really pretty version. They talk about themselves um, with nice pictures and nice sliders, but have no nod towards laying out what that website is about. Your homepage is the cover of a book. And if you don't tell anybody what's inside the book, how do you expect them to buy your book? So that's another part of the problem that we see um, in that. We see missing title tags at the top of the, the website in the title box. I forever see people calling their homepage home and that's the title tag on their homepage. You can't do those kind of things without um, penalty. If you put home as your title tag of your homepage, you will never rank on a word ever. Followed by putting your own company name there. Your company name, like it or not, is probably the least important part of what you do and what you say. And when I see that, I, I see a lot of people that, that put the name of their company and they don't say what they do or what's their website's about. Well, the thing is, unless you're Exxon or Walmart or some big corporation that your name means something, starting out and leading out what the name of your company is, is the name of your homepage with no other modifiers or descriptors of what your business is about, is a recipe for to have an invisible business. So... That's another quick little thing that you can do to improve simply by adding what you do to the title tag of your website and not just say the name of your business. So that's another piece. Um, the I'm going to talk about H1 tags uh, and everybody kind of goes, what's that? H1 tags have been around since, gosh, basic H HTML. And you would know them back from in the day. If you were like doing this for a long time, you would know that they were old headline uh, nods. So they were something that you would put as a heading over a subset of text, just like a headline in a newspaper. Um, on web, on headlines that are super important, those are very large and that would be what would be considered an H1 tag. Okay. As we move down and you move down a page, and if you think about the way a newspaper was laid out um, when it was on paper, you'll think about they got smaller as you got further down the page they got smaller because they were less important and they were le less likely to be something that would float up above the fold like where the newspaper was folded in half i know they're old terms so if they're you just have to think about how a newspaper used to be um to understand but the thing is is that google adopted that and those h1 tags are built into almost every editor I've ever seen uh, for a website because they're headings. They're heading one, two, three, all the way down to six. The thing is this that's uh, happened is that a lot of people and their web designers 
co-op that information and take the information and utilize it as a design element with no attention to the fact that Google's reading that. So if I take the H1 tag and use it as the heading on every heading on my website so that everything looks uniformly the same on the heading side of it, at the end of the day, Google's going to say, hey, you're spamming keywords into the head tag. The other thing that I see is dumb things like click here as is in a head tag or read more that's in a head tag. Well, those don't really belong in a head tag because they're not headings. You're using that as a design element to bold something or emphasize something. I think web designers that don't have a lot of understanding of SEO um, do that. And I suppose now is a good time. It, one of my people that at design websites don't necessarily understand SEO. And that's been a long running piece of information. Um, and I don't think most people understand that. They say, my daughter can design me a website. She's 15 and she learned how to do it at her high school. I've heard that. I've heard things like, um, well, we got some guy to do a $500 website for us out of his garage. And now I want you to rank it. And the problem is what people don't understand is SEO needs to be planned out before you build the website, not after SEO is not a bolt on to something. It is a foundational element and the flaws in those foundational elements can make or break your SEO experience. The other thing that I see is people come in and they, they say, oh, I'm going to just redesign this website. And they don't pay attention to the SEO until after they've built the website and put the new website up and realize that all the rankings have gone away. And sometimes it's a costly mistake to do that in the sense that sometimes the whole website needs to be rebuilt. What you'll hear uh, a lot of times with an SEO company is you'll build a website, spend you know, five to $50,000. And then you go to the SEO company, SEO company says, well, this all has to be rebuilt. And you're thinking, why is that? I just spent $50,000 to do all this or 5,000 or 3,000 or whatever you've spent. And you're wondering why you have to do that. It's because they didn't put the framework together, right? It, it's kind of like building a house and forgetting to put the studs in the wall. And then wondering, what do I do when the house falls over? It's, it, it's all that same kind of stuff. So building an SEO-friendly website is a design element on some level. And what really needs to happen is either you need to hire a web designer that knows how to do SEO, that has provable results, not says, yeah, I know how to do SEO because I hear that too. Um, and then they'll try to come and explain to me why they know SEO. But at the end of the day, they think it's a bolt-on. And SEO is, if it's nothing else, it is... It is a way of life and not something that can be added to an equation after the fact. And um, in order to rank, especially in competitive verticals, you need to have the uh, house built right without uh, having to tear the house down every single time. So make sure if you're, you're looking to get a web design company, that that web design company has speakable SEO results that they can do and just don't go, yeah, of course I know how to do SEO. Or that they think that the SEO aspect of it is just anything more than maybe just the title tag 
added to the top of a page and a meta description added to the top of the page and an alt image text. Um, because that couldn't be further from the truth. There's all of these elements that are attached to this. And if you don't perform them all right, it doesn't work. Conversely, I'm going to throw something out and, I'm, and this ties to my last point that we're going to talk about today. Um, I get a lot of people that'll come to me and they say to me, well, Mitsubishi ranks on this or Mitsubishi did it this way or Sony did it that way or and the problem is is that those people they're publicly traded they generate a lot of news they have a lot of backlinks they have a discernible brand that people recognize that people know what it is and when I put all of that together it gives me a lot of leverage not to do things 100% right. But all us little guys that are competing with those people, we need to know and we need to perform as many different things properly as we possibly can because we have to offset the fact that we are not a Walmart or we are not a Mitsubishi. Um, we are not... Phillips. And if that's your competitors, you have to do more things right technically than you they do because they have links to offset it. What I what I why I say that comment and those things tie into is one of my last point is gaining high quality links, okay? So, I want to be in the newspaper. I want to be featured on television. I want to be um, an expert that people come and they quote and they put me out there. I want to be all those things. And the reason I want to be all those things is because at the end of the day, those high quality links are further signals to Google that I am the best there is and I belong competing on that first page of Google for whatever the topic is. And... If you think about this, and I and I think that uh, as I think about the last, you know, since I started and opened my doors, the biggest thing that always was out there is the credibility. So everybody, it was always, especially when we were a young company and didn't have a lot of uh, references, the credibility that we had was very important. So you, it became a matter of how do you build credibility. And how you build credibility on the internet is the same way you build credibility in your own community. You're out there, you're working in your community, you're running blood drives, you're sponsoring swim teams, you're doing things to be better citizens. And when you're a better citizen, your name appears on lists and you come up and people come and ask you questions and they make links to you because you are that voice in the space. So if you're a chiropractor and you want to be out talking about wellness and you run a Saturday wellness clinic, fantastic. Make sure the newspaper's out there to cover it. Always be working to do things in a more traditional way because those traditional signals come back and have the same impact on the internet because there's the links that are created by them. And it's a, and it's a strange way to to explain it, I suppose, 
but coming out of a, my background, coming out of a public relations background before there was the internet, that amount of press and that exposure and that building, that, that name recognition was so important because it was what set businesses apart. Well, the internet has the same functions to it. It's just, are you mentioned on a worthy website? Are you in circles where people consider you an expert? Are you an influencer? What does it take to be an influencer? How many people follow you and how important is that? Uh, I'd like to ask everybody that hears this to make sure that they subscribe to this podcast and they go subscribe to our YouTube channel and they go like our Facebook page and they go like us on, uh, follow us on LinkedIn because those are all signals back out that we are actually a leader in our space. And we are there. I, I have no, I, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily started out to do it on the, to be the leader in the internet space on the actual internet. I wanted to do it within Houston. Um, but again, I've been in business 20 years, so things have changed. I've been in business longer than Google's been a Google. So there, there's that. I mean, there was only Yahoo when we started and opened our doors. So that kind of tells you how far back we were. You know, the Alta Vistas and Lycoses of the world. A funny thing is that some of the people under the age of 30 does, don't even know what I'm talking about when I say those words. So when we look at, when we look at things, we have to look and say, how are we going to propel ourselves? And to come full circle, we're going to propel ourselves to getting high quality links, to being an expert in our space, to being trustworthy, to being an authority, to being all the things that we need to be. We're going to do that through great content. And with that, this is where we're going to end today's internet marketing clinic. Of course, if you have any questions, you can contact us at seo411.com. Uh, wish everybody a happy 4th of July and I hope you guys have a great and safe weekend. Stay safe and healthy out there and we'll be back next week. Thank you.